to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. We're never happier when we've got a studio full of food everywhere. No, there's no, literally no room. No, there is no room. We're, liter- the, we're literally in stuck the, in the corners. We are. And also by Holly Shackleton, who didn't have breakfast this morning, has gone out and had lunch, and now you're surrounded by this, Holly. So that wasn't the smartest move, really. I'm really not complaining. It looks amazing. <laughs> it does all look fantastic, doesn't it? Absolutely great. So um, Holly is editor of Speciality Food Magazine. Now, our guests today are Jane Devonshire, a recent MasterChef winner. Yes. Welcome, Thank Jane. You. <laughs> it's it's really weird because um, uh, I just recognise your face, I get and, and that. that's what television does, doesn't it? That's <laughs> what television, and I, I go, oh, all right, Jane's here. I, I mean, I know exactly who you are, um, but but that that must be weird. That must have changed totally. Your... I mean, I won the year I turned fifty, so for me, it's been a completely new, a whole new lifestyle and a whole new life, really. And what. Better way to celebrate being 50, I yeah. think. Yeah, and how long ago was it that you won? 2016 three, I won. Three years, no, two years ago. Yes, yeah, well, two, two years. three years ago. Excellent. So we're going to talk a lot about um, how that all works. We're all dying to know what happens behind the scenes. Oh, wanna, wanna <laughs> an awful lot of sitting around like most yeah, TV. Yeah, exactly. Um, but any any sort of dirt or any, you know, <laughs> sort of controversy we'd like to know about. Um, but first of all, we're going to talk to Jamie Burrows of Vertical Futures. Um, hi, Jamie. Hi. Aren't you lucky? You've come on one of the shows where, look, we're surrounded by stuff that Jane's cooked. Looks great. It does look fantastic. So, now, you you're, you're own a company called Vertical Futures. Future. Future. Yep. <laughs> there is only one future. Rather. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's bad English of mine. Well, from, well maybe, from maybe there are multiple futures. We just no. don't know which one's going to yeah. be. Exactly, You've yeah. chosen yeah. a future. There could one. be. There's one. There could be. Actually, Vertical Futures is a speculative trading company, so we can't be confused. Oh, <laughs> so it's Vertical Future, and you know it's Vertical Future because it's verticalfuture.co.uk. Um, now, you're London-based, um, and you, you're really keen on improving the health of just normal everyday people, but particularly in cities. And uh, you've been developing uh, growing techniques using smart technology. Just describe what you've got in front of us. We've got all these sort of see-through boxes there. What, what, what have we got inside them? Um, so we have a uh, an agriculture technology initiative called Mini Crops. Um, so what we do, in, so my background is health economics. So yeah, Vertical Future is about improving health in cities. And our main focus um, for now is better food people in cities, more sustainable food, close to end consumers. So in practice, what we do is we have um, several sites, but our, our first site was in Deptford. We set up um, high-tech farms in areas of multiple deprivation and just bring farming closer to, to end consumers. Um, so in, in the boxes, what I've brought along today, first of all, there's no plastic here, so it's all compostable, which is well, I think, very damn. important. Um, but we, from our kind of 200 square meter farm in in, um, in Deptford, which is all obviously indoors, um, we produce about two and a half metric tons of um, pesticide and herbicide free sustainable produce, you know, micro veg, baby leaf, uh, edible flowers for, for restaurants uh, uh, across London and home consumers. 
Um, and our model is people um, order up until midnight, we harvest overnight, and then we deliver to them literally within two hours of, of harvest um, in wow. a very sustainable way. two hours? Yeah. Can't get fresher than that. And it's it's very local to whoever's ordered it. What, what, what do we got inside there? What sort of things? Can you pass them around? So yeah. I'll pass them around this yeah. way and this way. So we've got, um, we've got some daikon radish, some parsley, some rioca radish, some red giant mustard, um, some micro cabbage, uh, some good old basil, um, some frills and some pea shoots. Love pea shoots. One of my favourite. Do you cook? Do you use pea shoots at all, Jane? I'm really. They're so I lo- fresh. I love pea shoots. I use them all, and I use these micro herbs all the time because um, it's just one way to make everything look so much. It, it gives it everything a little bit of dew and brings it to life, doesn't it? There's a huge market for it, and it's just wonderful to be able to get it so very fresh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, at the minute we're I and mean, we only launched our first farm about a year ago. I think we're working with about 100 restaurants now. But any anybody from kind of um, you know high end Michelin star all the way down to your kind of you know local vegan cafes so it's it really is very very broad in terms of the people that are eating this food and obviously we do bigger stuff as well so you know baby leaf mm-hmm. um but but definitely i think there's a there's a pushing trend for um for micro herbs you're seeing them in supermarkets people are using them in more inventive ways for for home cooking as well and i also think that people are now uh, much more focused on the, the the taste and nutritional characteristics mm-hmm. of of um this type of produce and it's not no longer just a little bit of sprinkling on top of a dish um these are really strong tasting mm. in, in the nicest possible way. Yes. Um, taste these pea These are the pea shoots. Mm. I yeah. think it should definitely add a profile. I'm a great believer that anything on a plate you should be able to eat. And I think that whatever you put on a plate, it should be there for a reason, not just to add something, even if it's a flower, if it's, you know, if it, whatever, it should add a flavour profile. And these are fabulous. They pack such a punch. Mm, taste those pea shoots. Gorgeous, aren't they? Um, so, so how do you decide what to grow? Do you respond to the local... You know what people want. Are you are you trying to educate people to try different things? Are you asking is there major demand for pea shoots in Deptford? I am really. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? There might be, but but part of what Jamie might be doing is trying to get people to try things I haven't tried before. Um, I, I think it's a bit of both. So we started out obviously going for your kind of core products like you know micro coriander and basil etc. But over time, we've just learned, I mean, it's really, a, our business is really about resource allocation. You know, how do we allocate the space in the farm uh, to meet the needs of London? Um, but most of our customers are in, in key areas like uh, West London, Shoreditch. Um, we don't have many customers in Deptford. We do have a few. Um, it's, it's an area definitely on the up. Um, but uh, what we what we try and do is is emphasize what we call on demand growing. So we we start working with restaurants or homes or catering companies, um, and we we basically say, well, what what can't you get? Can we grow you something specific? Um, can we source a particular seed from you from a particular part of the world and then grow it here? Um, and what we find is, I mean, we're starting to work with a lot of, for example, um, you know, Asian restaurants um, in different parts of London that are, they have 80% of their produce coming from overseas. So, you know, um, with things like Brexit. Yeah, why, you know? Well, exactly. Yeah. And um, so things like large, you know, shizo leaves, um, you know, we now grow those for them. Um, and so instead of them spending, you know, two and a half weeks getting here from, you know, some other part of the world, we can grow them here in London in more sustainable this ways. This is one of my trends. Do you remember that? You mentioned that, that a couple of weeks ago, didn't my, you? I did. The first show of the year, you were I saying, said, one of the trends. Look, now we've got it on live on now. See, huh. it's, it's you've proved yourself. You yeah, so smug, Ollie. Um, but you've, you, what you're doing is you're proving that. You're saying, well, how can we grow that here? If there's yeah. a demand for it, why don't we try and grow it here? If there's a demand for it, but also, I mean, your point is about freshness, isn't it? Which is ultimately you bring in certain things that 
okay, may not be indigenous to this country and may not, that our, our, our wonderful weather patterns don't necessarily align well with those, but obviously your technology allows you to grow stuff that is actually not meant to be grown here, fundamentally, from a weather perspective. Com completely, yeah. And I mean, we, um, so first of all, we, we don't use soil either. So um, we, also we inject things like mineral nutrients um, in there, because obviously if you, if you talk about using soil and you look at two bags of soil um, next to each other, they one compared to the other could have very different uh, characteristics. So in many ways, what we're doing is actually providing a lot more transparency um, over what's going into the produce. And because of the way that we farm, we can also, you know, if somebody comes to us and say, well, we want, a, you know, um, a stronger coriander, a darker color, you know, larger leaves, whatever, we can do all that. Um, so it really is kind of precision farming. So clever. Mm. I mean, it, it's got to be the way to go, particularly when we know the guys from growing underground and stuff like that, but using spaces that aren't being used. Completely. And and um, using technology cleverly as opposed to just, you know, artificially, you know, getting sort of, you know, growing stuff too quickly, you know, sort of injecting it and putting loads of water in it and all that sort of stuff. You know, this is, this is I mean, the taste profile. Mm. We've just tasted this, this sort of mini basil, which actually I've never seen that before. Have any ever seen big basil? Sorry, I'm not very really technically minded. The flavour of that, wow. It's really intense. You wouldn't know that that was... And I think as well, what you're doing is lovely. It's the environmental impact. It drives me bonkers when I go to a supermarket and they're shipping in watercress from Kenya or somewhere. And I live next to the best watercress beds in the world. And surely in this age, something like this that you can get on your doorstep, ship Fantastic. a few miles, it's so fresh. And the, as you say, the flavour profile is so intense. It's amazing. It's going to add such a warm to any dish that you do. Yeah. Mm. I also think that, you know, um, increasingly people are realising that for something to be sustainable um, from, from a food standpoint in terms of growing, it doesn't necessarily have to be outside. You know, when people... When, Sometimes when we say to people well, we're growing indoors, they're like, well, that's not very natural and that's not very good. But actually, when we then talk to them about how we grow um, and the fact that we use less water and that it's more sustainable and, you know, we have fewer food miles, you know, all the tasting, et cetera, aside, um, we kind of win on all the different arguments. So I, I do think it is the future. Well, I'm I'm really, really impressed. And I wish you were around the corner from my house because I just, just get this stuff all the you time. You could move to Deptford. I could, couldn't I? So it is, as you say, an up-and-coming area. Yep, and we deliver acro across all of London, so everywhere. I don't live in London. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I so you, wish you, I did. You, you, you sell now through um, retailers as well? No. No, so we're, so um, if you look at, for example, Growing Underground, I think they're more retail-focused, you know, they work with yeah. Ocado, et cetera. We are um, primarily B2B direct, we call, so we don't use any middlemen for anything. Um, we literally have guys that come at six in the morning and pick up a load of bags, you know, part-time students or musicians, and they'll go all, all across London to their different areas. Um, in the future, we, we may do retail, but um, I think for now we're more focused on working direct. And I said B2B direct, but we also, I'd say probably 10 or 15% of our business is online, um, you know, B2C uh, consumers as well. So mm, uh, well, quick, quick plug, minicrops.com. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that at the end of the programme, we all details of where you can get this from. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's really proving one of your predictions already for 2019, Ollie. Th this is definitely the way to go, isn't it? I mean, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And I, and I think, there's a, I think you know, one of the things obviously is difficult in London is that the chefs who are here struggle with the ability to create the produce they want and if you look mm -hmm. at a lot of the the great restaurants in britain nowadays they have their own farms mm -hmm. and you know that's kind of one of the big trends that everyone talks about in the restaurant world and the ability to take control of, of processing and also they work very very closely with local farmers and local producers 
that's clearly much harder in London where we don't have that. Um, and are that there are people like Marcus Waring now who owns his own farm down in Kent um, where he's growing stuff specifically for Treadwells and, and for Marcus. But they're, they're an exception rather than the rule. And I think what's interesting is if you are collaborating with chefs, you do give them the opportunity to, to create the product that they want with the intensity and the specificity mm. of what they want. Oh, just, that, absolutely gorgeous. So um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how, we, how you get hold of that at the end of the programme. Now, uh, Jane, you were the winner of the 2016 edition of MasterChef on the BBC. Um, you've bought some stuff for us to eat. Can you just describe what you've, you've got in front of us? Uh, the reason is, this is right in front of me. It's been sitting there for 10 minutes and I, I just dying to eat it. So I want to eat have. something. I've seen you pick at it. No, 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 no. there's can. just a bit that fell oh, out. A bit that fell it's just a bit that fell by the side. I didn't actually I'm very impressed it. that you haven't dug your finger no. in yet. No. <laughs> so, so what have I got in front of me here? Well, this is a bacon and maple syrup muffin. Bacon and maple syrup muffin. There you so, go. So um, one of the things, my, my son was diagnosed. So I've got four children. My youngest son was diagnosed with celiac disease when he was two. And one of the things that it taught us is I've always, we're all real foodies here. Food should be so inclusive. Everybody should be able to sit, share plates, talk about food and share. And one of the things that became very apparent when you have someone with that sort of severe autoimmune disease or yeah. uh, allergy is that food suddenly becomes that, that barrier. Yeah. Um, and I just thought this isn't happening in my house. When we sit and eat, Ben is going to eat whatever we eat. So for the last 15 years at home, we've been gluten-free. My kitchen is gluten-free. Um, I've got Sharon cutting up this this <laughs> muffin, which we're going to taste. In a so minute. it's all about proving that gluten-free food offers exactly the same profile, exactly the same, all of the old things that you think that it's going to be chalky or fall apart in your mouth or no texture. I'm very much on a mission to disprove that. I think what's Ollie, take a bit of that. Um, <laughs> what's interesting about the world of gluten-free is obviously you you know you had the hard end of it, right? Which is there are obviously a certain number of people who, and, and I think you probably know the statistics. I know you work a lot with the Celiac mm. Society, who actually do have this autoimmune yes. deficiency. But obviously, I think the other thing that's also interesting is that people are also choosing to avoid gluten in their diet, kind of in a similar way to they're choosing to avoid meat in their diet as kind of a health thing. Um, and as sort of, a, I'm going to use a phrase, a lifestyle choice, which is yes. I'm cutting down on gluten because it aligns with my with my sort of... I understand that. I mean, I would never advocate anybody. I'm not a dietitian. I would never advocate anybody um, taking up any diet that wasn't medically recommended or an exclusion diet without very much looking into it. But I think in society, when you're eating um, cereal for breakfast, sandwiches for lunch and pasta for tea probably topped up with a few biscuits and a slice of cake, you might, might be overdosing on one particular foodstuff. And a lot of people are being diagnosed, I, as you say, I work with Celiac UK, and they get people in, they think are going to present and be absolute celiacs. And when they go through it, they haven't got the autoimmune condition, but they've definitely got a severe allergy to wheat and gluten. So um, it, it's, a, it's a real thing. And I think a lot of things, the questions that I come across are people say it's too expensive or all the foods you can buy, which are fabulous to be able to get them. They're full of um, artificial sweeteners and preservatives and things. So I wanted to just do something that was basic good home cooking that you could come home as a mum, 
these take 18 minutes in the oven and 10 minutes if that to knock up. So this is if you want a master chef. If you want a master chef, So if we do Sue versus Jane in the 10-minute preparation sure. task, I'm um, feeling that Jane would win. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, in the studio with us is um, Sharon, who who works with us. And now, now Sharon in my office, there's 20 of us, she is renowned for being the baker in the office, but you didn't know that, did you? No, I no. didn't. Oh, no so, pressure then, Sharon. Yeah, so Sharon's in, in, in the studio because we've got so much here that Jane's bought, she's cutting it all up for us. Um, now, Sharon's done loads of stuff that's amazing. I've never tasted anything like this where you've got something sweet, it's a muffin, mm. actually you've got some really nice maple bacon in there. Yes. What a great idea. You, it's just trying to get You've got to do that, different. Sharon, next time you do some cooking in the yes. office. <laughs> I, I really, I, I'm, I wanted to do this. The great thing is, with, again, sandwiches, if you've got a child who's gluten-free, are a nightmare. So I cook lots of different muffins. So Ben will take a cheese and pick a muffin to school. He doesn't look any different. It's easy to eat. It's portable. It gets over one of the big problems as a parent who's got a child with celiac disease. Um, and these are ones that I don't normally carry around because obviously they've got a lot of nice maple oh, syrup, buttercream, a cheese, cream cheese uh, topping on the top. But um, they are a real family favourite. And um, yeah, if, if I cook these, I've left some at home actually. I know I'll get home, there won't be any left. Well, I've got loads to ask you in a minute because my daughter's um, celiac as well. So um, what's the, what's this one here that you've got in front of you? That looks, that's amazing. This is Ben's favourite. Um, thank you. This is Ben's um, celebration cake. And I make no excuses. This is not a, a diet friendly cake. But it's It's okay, we're not worried about that. It doesn't take 10 minutes to make it. No, no, this one is, but this is no cooking in this, interesting. The only thing you have to do is heat the cream to melt the chocolate in to make the topping. Um, And I nearly didn't put it in for that very reason. Um, But it's a peanut butter chocolate cheesecake. And I've made some. Peanut butter chocolate cheesecake. I've made some. Homemade, you know, praline to go on the top, but you can just buy it and chop it up. But it is a real sort of celebration, something special. Very rich um, and very indulgent. And he has it whenever it's his birthday or something that, you know, it, it looks spectacular when it comes to the table. I know that I can make it two, three days in advance. It'll sit in the fridge mm. and you can bring it out. Very good. So um, you've obviously, you've been at home. Um, what's happened with Ben has, has changed the way you've sort of thought about food and the way you've cooked food as a mum. Um why did you then decide... Sorry, there's lots of crunching going on here. <laughs> sorry, it's the praline. So don't worry about that. Uh, why did you decide uh, to, to enter MasterChef? Um, and bearing in mind that a lot of, of what you do is very skilled in terms of, of you know, gluten-free, you can't just do gluten-free on MasterChef because you're asked to do loads of other stuff as well. Why on earth? You look like a very modest, normal person. <laughs> I what, think what, I what, am. What, Ollie knows me. I think so I what, am. why did you sort of enter onto MasterChef? Because um, you've surely got to be a little bit of a show-off, just, just underneath a little bit, or... Maybe I am. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm shy, but yes, I'm not certainly someone who would do that normally. And I think most of my friends, when the show started airing, were really shocked that I'd done it. But to be honest with you, it was entirely my fault in some ways. But the kids entered me, so I came home without your knowledge. Well, yeah, I I had to sign off on it, but they timed it. We'd gone out. I'd gone out with some girlfriends for a rather nice lunch. Maybe had a glass or two of wine. (laughs) Got back and they went, "Mum, we filled the form in for you." 
Um, and my instinct was to say, no, no, don't be silly. I can't possibly do that. And I, they turned all those wonderful things you say to them. You know, if you don't try, you yeah, won't get yeah, exactly, and you yeah. might not win, but you'll kids. learn something in the journey. All yeah. those wonderful platitudes that you do kids. as, yeah, as <laughs> mums, they said to me. And I thought, oh, I'll send the form off for crying out loud. So many thousands upon thousands of people uh, try and get on the show. There's no way I'm going to get on the show. So, so, so you send a form off mm. and, and presumably there's a panel of people. Well, what are they judging? I mean, I don't know. So it's just a paper-based exercise. I, I have no idea what makes them pick your name out, mm. what makes you seem a bit different. Um, I really have no idea what that process is. And people often say to me, how do I get on? How do I get into the interview? I, I think it's a bit of luck. They have so many thousands. Um, so you have to go and be interviewed. So they, they get yeah. onto a short list of some sort. They do. do they really you up. Do you long, go along with a cake under your arm? Or, yes, or, exactly. Oh, you do? You okay. have to go along oh, and present the dish and they film oh. you and everything else. Because it's very, I will say, it's a very, the integrity of the show is what you see. It's not a great big Goliath, which has got loads of product. It's BBC at its most basic. But I think that's what makes it so charming and so lovely. Um, and you do, you go along, you take your dish, they film you, because you have to be able to speak because it's yeah. a TV show. So so then they, they filmed you, you get sort of, you know, and you, I bet you went home and went, oh, that didn't go very well, kids, but it was a good experience, isn't it great? Yeah. And then what, do you get a letter or an email? No, they, yeah, they basically ring you up. Ring you up. Um, the year I caught them, there was only 40 contestants in my year. I think they change it every year, so the following year there was 64, but in mine there was 40. So they ring you up and go, Jane, do you yeah. remember you came along actually exactly. going to be on the TV show? So what you say to the kids then you'll never guess what no you'll never guess what i'm only, I'm only on, on. No, i've only gone and done it i'm only yeah. on master chef and by the way you can't tell anybody what we're doing and you can't speak about it um 10 days in mexico all my my friends must have thought i'd disappeared off the face of the earth as they will try and cover up where i am so yeah but it was an incredible experience and it's, it's really intense did you tell the children you'd won yes I wasn't going to, but they all knew I was in the final, obviously, because I've been practising and practising. And um, it just became apparent. But it was really funny because Ben was only 13 at the time. And on the Friday, they were airing the final. He was almost in tears and he said, I don't want to go to school. And I said, you're going to have to go to school. It'll be obvious if you don't go to school. So, and I said, and if the other children start saying anything, please, you know, just just tell them that, you, that you'll find out on Monday. You don't know either, or something. And he said, it's not the children; it's all the teachers, teachers yeah. <laughs> giving you loads of hassle. I think they were running a yeah. book in the yeah, staff yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. And and so gradually, um, we we see all these people um, through our television screens, and then it narrows down. It narrows down. So essentially, it means that you're you're being on television actually every week so people do get to recognise you. Yes. How, how did that uh, make an impact on your sort of everyday life as you're going around shopping or... or... Sainsbury's is quite fun because people don't <laughs> think anything of picking up your trolley or pointing out the fact that you've got some gluten-free fish fingers in your yeah. trolley. You really eat, yes, we eat fish fingers, you know, or, uh, you know, a ready-made pizza or something. So you um, you know, <laughs> stumbling down the road on a Friday. I know. I know who she is. It's like, yeah, if you're a famous chef, you can't be seen in any dirty restaurant. No, no. Oh, I I just um yeah, I'm usually in my local shops in my wellies having just bought the dog covered in mud. So they're all quite used to me now, but yeah, it it is a different thing. And I often get people stop and talk to me 
and they'll start to talk to me about their children at school or something because they, they recognise my face. They know you, yeah. I think I've got mum stamped on my forehead. <laughs> Probably. Now, you've brought in another thing with you. I don't know what it is. Well, Sharon's bread is the that. big thing, yeah. I think, with um, celiacs. And, and it, some of the recipes are so complicated, they can be so disappointing. They require lots of different flours. And I really wanted to do an easy one-stop bread recipe that you could use in many different ways. Um, and so this is my focaccia recipe. And I eat, I, it's the easiest bread in the world. There is no knocking back or anything else. Um, so and what's it's been it made a real of? hit. It's got the usual ingredients in. Um, I use its egg. Um, and it just struck me as the sensible thing to do. I think because I'm not a chef, I sometimes think outside the box. So rather than being process driven, in many ways, I'm end result is what I wanted. Mm. And I couldn't get the lightness and airiness. And I just thought, you know what, if you whip egg whites, it gives something integrity. Yeah. So amongst this, re within this recipe is um, whipping egg whites. Um, and it really, again, it's a very, very simple process. And I've had so many responses just to this recipe from people who are gluten-free, being able to knock up a bread, get it to the table within 40 minutes, use it, you can cook it in little muffin tins and make burger buns out of it. You can use it in many different ways, toasted sandwiches, it's lovely. Um, I've put some tapas type ingredients, some olives and salamis that I had at home. The other one's just a straightforward one with rosemary. And again, trying to take the difficulty out of it and this, everybody's saying it's so difficult to do. It's not, it can be very easy. And, you know, you get something like that, you could bring to the table. I serve that to people who aren't gluten-free and they don't ever comment. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing for me is if, if you if you are using gluten-free, can't even say it, <laughs> flour, um, it, it doesn't get brown as much. So, so it's, all, it's never going to be dark. Yes. Um, so don't cook it and cook it because it's not going to reach that sort of colour. It's always going to be slightly more crumbly. You can't help that because of, mm. of, of, it hasn't got gluten in. This is done really, really well. Thank you. you got something from gum in that? I put, a, I use the, because again, I do use different agents, but with this one, because it's, I wanted to make a hassle-free, basic gluten-free cookbook, yep. I use xanthan gum because it's the most easy, easily accessible if I'm on the psyllium husk or something. Mm. And that was my thing. If I could get the ingredients in my local supermarket, then we would use it in Hampshire. Yep. Because a lot of gluten-free books ask for a lot of ingredients. That you, if Unless you live in the centre of London or Manchester or somewhere, you just can't get hold of. Absolutely. And then they're very expensive. Um, and I, I generally wanted to take that out. And I think that this doesn't crumble like um, a lot of gluten-free <coughs> breads and it's got an integrity and a structure to it. Um, and so many people are cooking it and it seems to have really... Um, it's the recipe that, I suppose, and the cheesecake that people um, have really so fastened on. I'm interested in sort of the process by which you create recipes because you are a home cook. You know, yes, you're, you're, you're not You're not a sort yeah, of... But I like that. No, no, I, no. Yeah. So what, what I was yeah. going to ask is, but, you, but you've got a challenge, right, which is you're trying to take gluten out of things. So you must have had some spectacular failures along the way. Oh, years of eating Yorkshire biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what have you learned, I suppose, that sort of learning how to kind of, I suppose... Because you're inventing. I mean, you are mm. doing you know, a lot of the recipes you're creating are. It's not like in most of the world you can kind of go online and go, well, how do you make it? And you find the answer. You're having to push boundaries. So, how? Tell me a bit about how you create recipes and how you sort of innovate. It's really weird, isn't it? Because I think for me, cooking is so natural and such a fundamental part of who I am. And anybody who walks into my house just gets fed. It's it's just me. It's so linked to life and everything. It, I'm passionate about it. So when I found out that my son was a celiac and that I could do something positive to make him well through what was my passion 
it it was a, a relief because I could make him well for feeding him. So it was a case of one, it's my passion and I love doing it. But two, I had to do it because if you if I wanted him to eat what we were all going to eat without the other three moaning, because mm-hmm. bless them, they are lovely kids, but why have we got to eat because he's got to, um, then I had to do it. And I find that I love that side of it, of all the things in MasterChef, the creativity side of it, coming up with new recipes. I don't find it difficult, and I don't know why. It, and I can't explain why. I suppose it's people who can write books or music, though I wouldn't suggest I'm on that level. So is it for it, you just keep experimenting, keep experimenting? Yeah. Oh, that's not quite right. I'd slightly change this. I'd like to just keep going, keep going, keep yeah. going. And I know I can flavours. Yeah. I, I can see them and I can see how they're going to work and things. So it's a really interesting process and one of my favourite. it always has been, even before MasterChef, one of my favourite things is to get in my kitchen and create. Jamie, you must be doing that a bit, actually. You must be experimenting in order to get all this right. Um, for work, yeah. <laughs> for work. <laughs> I mean, we've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a very small fridge. So uh, all the need space to take some of that cake home uh, tonight. Yeah, You'll be 100%. a real hero oh, yeah, my wife when you walk through the door. Happy, yeah, yeah, very good. Um, Holly, what, what are you thinking of the gluten-free thing? I think it's amazing. I think the focaccia is, great, is just, you wouldn't, yeah, you don't, I'm not a celiac, but definitely don't feel like I'm missing out. And it's got the kind of bounciness. Mm. Um, and like you say, there's no crumbliness at all. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. I really wanted that. And the other thing with the book is I didn't want, I wanted the food to look real. So they were saying it's not very dark. And I said, but your point earlier, it doesn't go golden brown, golden brown. And I wanted that to be reflected in the recipes and the food photography because if somebody cooks it that much, it's going to be overcooked. Mm. Now, in your book, there's something in there. I've been through your book. Okay. Because kindly, (laughs) uh, you or or, or one of your team sent me a copy of your book. So I had a good look at that this week. Now, on there, you're going to love this, um, Holly particularly, I think. Um, Jane's done a recipe for fondue bread. Oh, yes. So what she's got is there's there's a, br- a round bread, right? You get some cheese, you wrap it in, is it parma ham? Yeah. Wrap it in parma ham and then you put the bread mix all around it. You bake it in the oven. Nobody knows that there's cheese in there. Then when you cut it, it all just oozes out and then you take the bread and you dip it into your oozy cheese. What a great idea that is. <laughs> That's incredible. I've never seen the recipe like that. Oh, wow. Really? My, well, let's let's face it, most, most you know, books, you know, have got recipes which are, you know, bastardizations of others mm. or, or I've never seen that. Have you, Ollie? No. Oh, God, it's great. It's It really is a great favourite at home. It's, 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 and it's not complicated to do. Again, it's using this recipe, uh, which I promise you, I'd love you to try it because it's but not. But you, you could do any bread recipe, though, can't you? If, you, yeah, if it's your favourite bread. If it's your favourite bread. Put it on the table and everybody yeah. thinks, oh, look, her, Nelson's so, made some bread there. Yeah, and <laughs> then it, it just cuts it open. All of this stuff leaks mm. out. Yeah. And the reason why it's held together very cleverly is because you've used Parma ham to sort of yes. keep, it, keep it together in to the keep middle. The, to keep the brie or whatever you're using. I've used a Tumworth because that's made just Tumworth. up the road from where I live. I love oh, Tumworth. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's literally my local cheese, so I use that. And yeah. um, But you can stud the bread again with olives and different bits as well if you want to make it. Or garlic. We quite often do it with garlic and rosemary and stuff. What do you think of that, Holly? So, oh, um, it's such a good Jane's idea. Jane's bought a book in. So you're going to have to take it and and look at the um, fondue. And bring it next bread. time. Right. <laughs> oh, because yeah. Ollie wants it afterwards. We need to try that. How good is that? That sounds amazing. Mm. Any other ones that you're proud of in the book? That's my favourite. I, I think I... I love them all, and um, I'm I really, but I'm really fond of the um, smoked trout scotch eggs. 
because they're such an easy recipe and a lot of people struggle with scotch eggs because, you know, the meat, is it cooked or whatever? Because it's smoked trout or smoked salmon. Obviously, you don't have to worry about that. There's a quick cheat in there for how to cook quail's eggs very easily. Um, Marcus Warren showed me how to cook them so you can peel them really easily and stuff. I'd love that. You know, you have people around and they go, that looks really nice. Yeah, Marcus Waring showed me how to do that. <laughs> yeah, my friend Marcus Waring. My fr- yes. You know my mate Marcus. No, I don't know Marcus. Who's Marcus? You know Marcus Waring. He showed me how to do that. Oh, bless him. He is rather lovely. But yeah, he showed me. And I really like it. It's done with the watercress puree and some sweet pickled veg, which sounds complicated. Can you imagine those Very with some easy. of Jamie's little microgreens on the Perfect. side? Absolutely. Mm. That would be heaven, really. Yeah. Um, and that's the way I serve them. But it's recipes that might look complicated, but actually when you read them, they're so simple. And I think that's what you want when you've got busy lives, mums and dads and parents and kids learning how to cook. You want something that comes to the table and people think, I haven't tried that before. But it's got that impact Mm. and it's something a bit different. And um, what chef have you met who's the most horrible one? Most horrible. Yeah. <laughs> you can't ask that on air. You need to listen. We're in this industry, I I. in this industry, I'm going to protect you. My husband. <laughs> He's awful uh, in the kitchen. Uh, well done. That's a good one. Uh, but but um, joking aside, the food sector is actually extraordinary in that people do genuinely want to help each other. In, 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 yeah. More than any other sector I know, a finance sector or tech, or um, they they genuinely do. I know some of those chefs must be competitive that you deal with, Ollie. But in general, people want. People to eat better food and go out more and do stuff, don't they? But it's an ecosystem. There's a common... Fundamentally, yeah. fundamentally, you know, actually, if you look at the great chefs, they've all been trained by the same people. Yeah. They've all worked in the same kitchens. And actually, they all use similar producers and they're all nurturing those producers to get what they need. And yes, there are obviously the innovators who are breaking rules and are doing stuff and pushing boundaries. But they're pushing boundaries not just for themselves, but for others as well. It, it's, it's, not, it's not territorial. In that sense, um, well, I think there's there, a, are, there are clan, there are groups. Of who I think like there's a lot of share, less, but, I think you know. there's a lot of sharing going on there in is. terms of you know yeah. where you get great stuff or uh, whatever. So so um, really? I don't know whether you find that in your world, you know, mm. as well, Holly. No, abs- in the, absolutely. The sort of re- more retail. Yeah, and I think because um, we deal with lots of brands as well, kind of rather than um, chefs, but uh, they're all kind of working as a team and they're all there for the same mission and. Um, I remember I spoke to um, Ben Branson at Seedlip. Um, I was speaking to him about kind of startups and he was saying, people, just give me a call. You know, I'm more than happy to give out advice. Mm. And he's just, he's a proper icon of like mm. the startup. He's such a success. I think he's on in a few weeks. Is he? Yes, he is. He's a good guy. Mm. Um, but yeah, just people are so open to offering support. You know, I think it's just... We're good people in the food industry, you know. It's a good, no, it's a good gang. So, yeah. well, yeah. I was really, I was really shocked because I was thinking, I'm not a chef. Am I going to come across resistance because I'm going into these sh- kitchens? And obviously, I've had a massive leap up into certain areas that people want to be in. Are they going to begrudge me because I'm not classically trained or anything else? But yeah. they've everybody's just been brilliant. They've embraced me. They've embraced me. They've understood and actually given me opportunities far outside what they needed to do. People, I've, I've, it's a fantastic industry to be involved in. Mm. Particularly at the moment, there's so many exciting things going on. Like what you're doing, it's amazing. Yeah. And what's your plans for the future as as the kids get older? Yeah. Got any thoughts? Oh, who knows? I mean, I, I'm a great believer that you just have to take on as much, you know, I'm just doing what I can at the moment. I'm loving working with CELAC UK. I'm really passionate about this, obviously, because of my son. Um, I'm, I'm, there's loads on the horizon, which is also, you know, it's just thrilling, really. And as long as they want me, I'll keep on coming. <laughs> mm. And Ollie, do you see the rise more of, um, it sounds a bit condescending, really, the home cook as opposed to the, you know, the sort of 
chefy chefy restauranty chef or, or there's just different things they're different things mm-hmm. i think i think what we see is is that you know look where, where what's the role of the chefs you know these you know the, the the people who are classically trained and really understand what i'm going to call the science of food are vital they're absolutely vital in all in terms of helping us all understand how to treat produce with respect understand that because there are certain principles that you can't just ignore and that's where i think they sit but then i think also what's great about the home cooks and some of the stuff happening in the food truck world is it's bringing new cuisines and new um, undiscovered things like we saw the other day with Darjeeling Express reminding us of of different ways of, 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 of cooking, you know, and I think, you know, actually that's the exciting part. It's about the fusion of those worlds and I think those worlds aren't scared of each other, they're actually collaborating. But I, but I do worry sometimes that those, those chefs are making it a bit too rarefied and actually putting people off because it looks too difficult. Um, and, um, you know, you watch some of them and clearly they've never cooked for their family really, you know, or had to clean the oven or do any of those things that, that most But that's not fair. I mean, I think, you know, if you um, go into the kitchens, those, I mean... But I am worried that they do put some people off because it, it feels too difficult or too expensive or something and I, we do need the home cooks as well side we by side to, to show that you know we've got 10 minutes and I you know I do this all the time I've been doing it for 20 years and therefore I know this works for my family but I mean I, I don't know a profession who work harder I mean I was chatting with oh, a guy the other day and Hours. you know he you know he's an incredibly accomplished chef and he said you know in the last week my father has died and two of my chefs have resigned and mm. you're just like you know that's just, it's just a nightmare. You know, he's yeah. sleeping on the floor in my restaurant to make it terrible. work. The hours are terrible. They work so hard. You know, they are genuinely cleaning every oven and everything you can possibly yeah. imagine. And I have to say, what's really interesting is there are very, very, very few chefs I can think of who are managed to escape the kitchen. Actually, they're generally there forever. It's very rare that you get to kind of the executive chef level. It's where not even well paid. No, I mean, and, and you, you know, you flog away in these in these amazing kitchens around the country, and you know, you're running your own restaurant, you're running your own business, you're dealing with all the tax. But do everything. you not think these famous celebrity chefs are, are, you know, are responsible for some of that? Because people think that they're a bit like being a, um, a footballer when you're a kid. You know, you see Wayne Rooney, you think you're going to earn two hundred grand a week. Well, no, only a handful of people do that. You know, it's <clears throat> but I, so the, the rare. only people who make the money, are and the... actually, they get into these these. You know, this is a, a, a somehow a, a sort of. I don't know, a profession that, that, that people might aspire to, and actually it's really tough. Oh, but I, I don't think the dreadful. aspiration is, and actually one of the big problems in the industry is the aspiration is not to be a restaurant chef. People want to be like a vlogger chef, where all you do is you like cook stuff really? at home. Yeah, that's what that's yeah. what the younger generation do, and they want to be like bloggers and vloggers and all this stuff. And actually, a lot of those people don't have the deep culinary experience, and they're kind of trying to make a really good living of actually not having to do the really, really, really hard Tough work. Stuff, yeah. And actually, that all, you, you talk to chefs nowadays and they will all say, what's their biggest crisis? Staff. Every single time. Yes, they yeah. say there are no decent chefs coming through because they all want to be like bloggers or like, you know, like, you know, they want to do things differently. And that's a real problem. Mm. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for them. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you encourage your kids to, to enter into profession? If they wanted to, um, to be honest with you, if, if you've got a, vo- it's almost a vocation sometimes mm. to want to do it and to be that passionate about food, the hours they work, the money they earn for to begin with is awful. But I, I think it's it's two pronged. I think that these top chefs, they are somebody to aspire to. You can see what it can do. And they're pushing forward the boundaries of food. The British culinary scene is, is one of the foremost, if not the foremost in the world it's at the moment. Yeah. And that is due to people who are market leaders. But, Following on behind that can be people like me, 
who are learning from them, but just almost pocket picking the little bits that you pick up. And I think the 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 right, the, you know, the drive towards regionality and and sustainability and that is often driven by these people, and they can make a big impact. I, I've got nothing respect for them. I think they work very hard. Um, and so deserving most of the time. Well, well said. It's put me in my place. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we've come to the end of the show. Um, thank you so much um, to Jamie Burrows of Vertical Futures. I'm going to tuck in some of those salads in a minute. They are amazing. They uh, really Jamie. are, do yeah, I? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, we'll put links on to Vertical Future. Uh, .co.uk so you can see where you can get hold of those thank you Jamie and Jane um, such a pleasure for you to join us that's Jane Devonshire Um, your book is called Hassle Free Gluten Free Hassle Free Gluten Free so if you um, you don't have to be celiac you don't have to be gluten intolerant or anything there's some really great recipes there I haven't yet tried the fondue bread but it's on the top of my list oh I hope so it's a (laughs) favourite yeah definitely so thank you for joining us Jane Uh, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show as you know we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. So thank you, Ollie. Thank you for that. Great fun as usual. Shall we uh, we're tuck into some of these yeah. beautiful cakes in a minute? And uh, an- another, another, another joy. Another joy. And thank you, Holly Shackleton of um, Speciality Food. What are you going to tuck into first, Holly? Um, definitely some focaccia, probably with some... Of the leaves on top. The radish, Bit of a combo. The radish, it's also the radish good. leaves um, I really particularly liked. Um, and uh, I forgot lost where I am now. Um, yes, yeah, so if you uh, know anybody doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts stretching back three or four years now, go to foodtalk.co.uk or via the wonderful Great British Chefs website. I hope you have a good week. Bye. Bye.